0: As a church? How do we engage culture? How do we make a difference where we live? And so here's what we've come up with as a church. We believe that as a church, our calling is that God has called four areas where we are to engage. He's called us to engage on our campuses, in our community, in our care ministries, and then in our civic responsibilities. Now, over the last six weeks, we've talked about the first three. And so today, we're going to talk about this the the civics aspect of it and which kinda lines up for us because we are getting ready to practice one of our civic responsibilities in the next uh, gosh I guess the next uh, 10 days which is going to be voting now I know that sometimes whenever we think of our faith when we think of religion I hear this all the time never mix religion and politics or you know talk about Clemson or Carolina you know so those are the things you're not supposed to talk about well here's the thing that I think is interesting Whenever I look into the scripture, what I discover is that our faith is to intersect every part of our lives. It's not something that we compartmentalize. Uh, It is something that is to affect your decision making. It's to affect everything that you do. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look into our scripture and we're going to see some of the ways that that we are called to engage culture and specifically today how we have a civic responsibility to do that because God has very specific desires and plans for his people. Okay, now saying that, I'm going to start this off today by just bringing up a couple of incidents that have uh, happened over the last couple of years that, that makes me look at everything that's going on in our world today and I say, you know what? It is vital, it is important that the church takes part. That the church engages culture, because if we don't engage culture, guys, let me tell you something. We are on a very, very dark path. Now, I'm going to start off a little negative today. My hope is that we're going to end like on an up note. Okay. So I don't want you to get all depressed and then leave here and just say, well, that was awful. You might do that anyway, but, but don't tell me about it. Okay, so here's a couple little depressing stories I'm going to tell. Now, these are true stories. Uh, back in 2013, there is a family uh, who owned a bakery in Oregon. You might know where I'm going with this. The Klein family. Uh, the Klein family had a client that came in and said, we would like for you to bake a cake, or I'd like for you to bake a cake for me for my wedding. Now, that is not an unusual request for a bakery. What made this different, though, is that this was for a uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, Which was, that for one, it was a non-legal wedding in Oregon during this time. But it was also different because the Kleins are Christians. And they run their business according to their their beliefs and their faith. Now, they told this lady who had been a customer of theirs for years, they said, we we can't do that because of our faith. We don't feel comfortable with that. We're not going to do that. But we will recommend to you some other places you can go who will bake a cake for you. Well, that wasn't good enough. And so this lady and her uh, her partner sued the Klein family. Okay, so like, what happened with that? Well, we know it blew up in the national news media, but a court ruled against them, saying they had to pay them a hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars in mental anguish. Now the Klein family said, "Well, this goes against our First Amendment rights, freedom of speech. It goes against freedom of religion for me to be able to practice my faith." According to the way that I believe, my private business. What happened after that is the government seized their bank accounts. Okay, that's just one story. Here's another one. Uh, Iowa, the Iowa, uh, uh, the the Iowa Civil Rights Commission is making a push. They're doing it right now. They're making a push for all public places to have transgender bathrooms. Okay, now so so here's the deal on that. Uh, It was they're making a push for it. So somebody asked them a question. I got a question for you. Said, does this include churches? Here's their answer sometimes okay so this some, sometimes like well when sometimes they said anytime the church does anything where they are opened up for a public event okay so then i thought about that and i thought well when is the church not a public event now now you can look at that and you can say well you know that's stuff that happens in oregon and you know how how you know different oregon is and you know that that happened in iowa and we all know how crazy people are in iowa right And so we look at that and say, that's those two places, but that is not South Carolina. Okay, that's true right now. But let me tell you something. It is in, it's coming down the pipeline, and it will threaten South Carolina. That is a movement. The government's already moving right now to institute these types of things in our public school systems, trying to do this also in public places, and what we see is also moving towards our churches, Okay, now I see stories like this and those are just two stories. There are many more examples out there. And I can bring these up and just as a, I'm just going to be honest with you, just as a Christian, I look at these stories and they are overwhelming. They are coming at a faster and faster rate and I just man, I just feel depressed. I mean, there are times I look at all this stuff and I feel defeated and I think I don't think there's anything we can do. We might as well just give up now. Yo, I'm a, there's a couple I'm a good griper and I'm a good quitter okay and so that's just how i feel sometimes and then i I remembered a story that i told a million times in in other places where i've been but there's a story about this um guy named i think his name's paderewski if you play the piano i I don't know if i'm saying his name right but he was a famous pianist and he was doing a concert it's a true story he's doing a concert at a great concert hall in america and this lady wanted to bring her nine-year-old son to the concert her thought was if i get him to the concert he hears this guy play the piano he's going to want to play Okay, mothers, if you ever think that, it ain't going to work. So anyway, so she drags her son, who does not want to go, to listen to a guy play the piano. And I love the piano, but he didn't want to go. She brings her 9-year-old son. She's all excited. She's sitting there in the concert hall. She begins to talk to the people around her. The 9-year-old the boy is bored out of his mind. And so he, goes, he decides to get up and go for a little walk. Mother doesn't even notice it. The first thing he does is he walks straight to the stage. He climbs up on the stage, and he sees there's a piano there. And he's learned, he's taken a couple of lessons, and so he walks over to the bench, he sits down on the piano, and he begins to bang out the classic Chopsticks. Dun, dun. Y'all know that one? That's the one song I know on the piano. So he begins to play that, and the crowd, it, it, they go silent, because they know it's not, the, it's not Paderewski. So they look up there, and they're like, whose kid is that? And people are starting to talk in the crowd. Get that kid off the stage. Where are his parents? The mother, of course, I'm sure she was sliding down in her seat saying, I don't know who that is. And so she's, I mean, she's totally embarrassed, but Paderewski knows what's going on. He sees what's happening. Without being announced, he walks out onto the stage as the boy's playing chopsticks. He puts his arms around him, and he begins to play a medley. And it's a beautiful medley as they're playing chopsticks, and the entire time he's whispering in that boy's ear, don't stop, keep playing, don't quit. And when I heard that story, when I remember that story, I thought, you know, when I look and see where we are as a nation right now, and I see what's going on. I, I feel like, that I'm bang, as a Christian, I am banging out chopsticks and nobody likes it. But it's like God is, is reminding me that He comes around His people and He begins to play a beautiful medley around us as we are just simply faithful to Him. And the entire time, I believe God is whispering into our ear don't stop, don't quit, just keep on playing. And for us as a church, that made me think of, that made me think of C4. That, that is what we are about. We are about engaging culture. And sometimes we feel like we are on the short end of the stick. But I really believe this. God is reminding us time and time again, through his word, he's telling us, keep playing, don't quit, be faithful to me because I have plans for you. And that's why as a church, that we said, we're, we're going to do that. We're going to engage culture. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep playing. Regardless of how, how elections turn out, now and future ones, we've got to keep playing. And we're going to do that. We're going to engage. We're going to continue to engage on our campuses and in our community, in our care ministries, and in our civic responsibilities. But today, in our passage of scripture, I believe what we're going to see is there's a people that were very much like us, and that they were people who felt abandoned. They were people who felt defeated. They felt like they'd been swamped by culture, and they're like, we don't know what else to do. And God lets them know through the prophet Jeremiah, I got plans for you. Keep playing, don't quit. And so that's why we're going to look in Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. And you might be familiar with it. Uh, the version that's going to be up on the screen is different than the way I remembered it. So I'm just going to use I'm going to go my way. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Y'all know this one? Plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, whenever Jeremiah wrote these words, he was speaking to a specific group of people. He was speaking to the kingdom of Judah. Uh, the kingdom of Judah, it's, it's the kingdom that was around Jerusalem. It was the southern kingdom in Israel. And they had been overrun by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the guy who was he threw him in the fire. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Babylon, had come and taken the people into captivity, and so the people, uh, some of the people in Jerusalem who were in Babylon at this time, this is who's being spoken to, and these people felt abandoned. They felt like God had deserted them. Now they weren't being judged by God because that was a part of God's original plan. What had happened is the people had been disobedient to God; they, they had drifted away from the the teachings of God. They began to go with culture. And man, it got them into big time trouble. And they felt alone. And so Jeremiah comes along. He says, hey, God's people. God's still got plans for you. You're walking in darkness right now. Everything around you seems bleak. It seems hopeless. But God still has plans for you. Villagers, let me tell you something. I don't care what's going on. I mean, I care. But it doesn't matter what's going on. God has plans for you. God has plans for this church. Now, I know that sounds good. You say, well, that sounds good, but what, what kind of plans does God have for Christians today? What kind of plans does God have for Village Church? Well, let me share with you some of the things that God's plans for us involve. First of all, he, His plans involve us prospering, which is kind of interesting. God's, pl- God's plan for you and for me, for the Christian community, it is for us to prosper. Uh, Verse number 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Now, in our text, it says uh, that he's looking out for the wealth of his people, okay, or the welfare of his people. So God's plan for his people is for them to be prosperous. Now, I have to point out the context of the scripture again. Uh, The Jews at this time that are being spoken to, they're in captivity. And so then Jeremiah comes along as they're in captivity and says, God, hey, listen, y'all, you know, this is what God says. For I know the plans I have for you. I have plans to prosper you. And they're in captivity. I'm sure they're thinking, This guy's crazy. God wants to prosper us. I mean, look at where we are right now. Look at all look at all the stuff that's happening in culture around us. God doesn't even know what's going on with us. It's like God has abandoned us. God no longer cares about us. I mean, they were the chosen people of God. God had promised to give them the promised land, right? The Holy Land, the land of Israel. But they weren't living there anymore. Now, they, they weren't living there anymore because of, because of their decadent lifestyle. And the book of Jeremiah, when you read the book of Jeremiah, it's not like he wrote this. It's not like a letter that he wrote in a day. Y'all, this book covers decades of Jeremiah's ministry. And for decades, when you read Jer- if you ever read through the book of Jeremiah, he was called the weeping prophet. I mean, he's not a guy, if you're looking for, you know, to, to build your self-esteem up and all that stuff, don't read Jeremiah. I mean, he's just basically like, you guys are in big-time trouble. And he says it for 40 years. You know, I mean, that, can't, it'd be like me standing up here and preaching on hell every week for the rest of my life. That's what Jeremiah did. you got to hand it to him. The guy was consistent, and that's what God called him to do. So he stands up, and he's got bad news for the people. He's like, but listen, you're, you're, if, you don't, if, you, if you don't turn away from the way you're living, God, God's going to deal with it. It, all the way back in Jeremiah, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. This is, this is what God told Jeremiah to say. He said, Declare in Judah, proclaim in Jerusalem, and say, Blow the ram's horn throughout the land. In other words, warn the people. Cry out loudly and say, Assemble yourselves, and let's flee to the fortified cities. Lift up a signal flag toward Zion. He says, Run for cover, don't stand still. Why? For I am bringing a disaster from the north, a great destruction. God says, if you don't turn away from the way you're living, there's going to be destruction. And you know what happened? That's exactly what happened. A guy named Nebuchadnezzar came down, tore up the temple, destroyed it, and took people into captivity. Now, there might be some of us today, and we're looking around going, you know what? I, man, I, I feel the same way. I feel like I'm in captivity. And there are some of us who are facing hardships that are going on in our lives right now. And and sometimes, you know what, sometimes we are facing hardships in our lives because of stupid decisions that we make. And and whenever we make those decisions and we feel like like that we're abandoned, we feel alone, and we feel like God's forgotten about us. Let me share something with you. Did you know that God never forgets his people? God never forgets his people. As we live in this country today, Christians, as we see things that are pushing up against us and our values and our beliefs, let me tell you something, God does not forget his people. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29 through 30, he said, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. God is so concerned about you and so aware of you that he knows how many hairs are on your head. That's, that's pretty good, isn't it? Now, for some of y'all, that's not as difficult. But for others of us, I mean, you think, does God know me intimately? Absolutely. The Lord's familiar with who we are. You know, years ago, God had planned for the Jewish people. He said, they're going to be my people. It wasn't anything that they had done. God just said, I'm choosing you. And so he chose them and he said, it's through you that I'm going to make my name known. It's through you that I'm going to show the world my greatness. And one of the ways that I'm going to do it, God said, is I'm going to bless my people. I'm going to prosper my people. Now, when I think of prospering, I typically think of everything going my way. You know, whenever I think of prospering, I think, you know, everybody's going to do what I want to do. But that's not what it means. The people in our text, they'd sinned against God. And so, so because of that, they were paying a price. Now, here's what Jeremiah was to tell the people. So if you're paying a price. Now, quit griping about it. Quit complaining about it. He said, it's time to live where you are right now and honor God. Qu- quit complaining about your, your, your heartaches because they have happened because of disobedience. And he said, so where you are, honor God where you are. Where are they? They're in Babylon. Where are they? They're in a place where they're swamped by culture. And Jeremiah says, honor God there. We're told this, Jeremiah 29, 4-7 through seven, says, This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat the produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and da- daughters. He says, Multiply there, don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city I have depor- deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it has prosperity, you will prosper. Okay, so so what does all this mean? This is what's interesting to me. God has, has allowed them to be judged by Babylon. So they're brought into captivity. So the people are overwhelmed by culture. You know what God tells the people? He says, quit complaining about it. He says, pray for the welfare of the city which you are now in. Their enemy city. God says, live your life in such a way that you're going to honor God and seek The benefit and the blessing of the place where you are. Christians, I believe that's a word for us. Where we are right now, we are to pray for our nation. Even as we move away from the things of God, we are to pray for our nation. We are to seek the benefit and the welfare of the cities in which we are living, and the country in which we are living, and the state in which we are living. We are to desire God to bless where we are. Now, how do we do that? We do that by living in a way where we honor God. That's why I think for us, as we talk about our civic responsibility, we're getting ready to vote. That's why I think that one of the ways that we can benefit where we are, because I believe this, God's way, God's direction, God's word is accurate. And when we follow God's path, it leads to blessing. When we don't, it leads to destruction. So Christians, we need people to vote in ways that move us towards God's path, not towards destruction. That's why I, I believe this. Now, not everybody's going to agree with me, but here's what I, I really believe: this, and I'm right on this part. That's why we, as believers, we should support life. That's what, we we should not ever support a culture of death. We should never support abortion and the killing of the unborn. We should stand for life. That's why I believe that as Christians, we should stand for what God's Word has to say about marriage. It is between a man and a woman. There are people who disagree. And that's fine. People can disagree. I'm not out to shoot anybody. Okay, but I want to stand for what God's Word says. God says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And I think there's some very logical things that go along with that. Uh, So what else should we do as believers? I believe this as believers. I believe that it's important that we support those and that we support policies that are going to benefit our nation according to what God's Word says. Now, I believe there are some things that are sort of up for grabs. I think there are other things that are very clear. That there are people who are open to the things of God, and there are other people who want to shut down the people of God. Christians, we, our voices need to be heard see God and why because God's plan is to prosper his people that word prosper does not mean to make rich it does not mean to make you powerful so what it means that word prosper it means to complete you when we prosper we are completed people we are fulfilled people when you follow God's path that man there's peace when you follow God follow God's leadership there is joy but when you don't there's not uh, one of my, I, I love spy, mystery, thriller novels, and one of the most famous writers is a guy named Jack Higgins. Um, he's, uh, he's written over 60 novels. His most famous novel that he ever wrote was called The Eagle Has Landed. I know y'all don't care, but I'm telling you anyway. He wrote The Eagle Has Landed. That book sold over 50 million copies. That's a lot of books, but here's what's interesting about this guy. He was asked this question. It says he's a world-famous author. Somebody asked him the question, a reporter did. They said, now, what you know now? What do you wish you would have known when you first started? If you could go back and tell yourself something, what he said is interesting. He said, "Here's what I would have told myself at the beginning, and that is this: when you get to the top, there's nothing there." That's inspiring, isn't it? I mean, work your life, you know, work as hard as you can, and when you get to the top, it ain't squat. Now, I, that is sad. And I thought, you know, there's, there's a lot of us who were looking to get to the top in life. And the some, some of us, we, we get to the top, we look around and think, there's not anything here. And, and you know what's happened when that, you know what, why that is? It's because we are climbing the wrong mountain. When, when you're climbing the wrong mountain, it means you are climbing a mountain for yourself. You are climbing, living for your own way. And when you finally get there, there that's it. Man, you, you're done. That's why it's so important that we climb and we walk on God's path. Because when we get to the top with God's path, oh, I mean, we, find, we find abundance. I love Psalm 119, 35. David wrote this. He said, Direct me, God, in the path of your commands, for it is there I find delight. God desires for us to follow him because he desires to prosper us. He desires for us to find delight. Well, what, what else, what kind of other kind of plans does God have for his people? Well, secondly, God's plan for us involves hope. God wants you to be a people who not only prosper, and us to be people who prosper, he wants us to be people of hope. And that's what Jeremiah twenty nine eleven again, says. And I'll, I'll read it out of my, my text here. It says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, the Jews in our text, they needed hope. Now, there were some who came along and started giving them a false hope. They went, into, they went into Babylonian captivity, and there were some other preachers that were there, you know, the ministers that were there, and they began to tell them, they said, we're going to give you hope. Hey, we're not going to be here long. We're getting ready to get out of here. Get packed up. Don't settle in. And then Jeremiah comes along. Jer- Remember, the weeping prophet, the guy with always bad news, he comes along and goes, that's not true. You're going to be here 70 years. I mean, Would you like that guy? I mean, because you'll be here 70 years. Now, that's one, thing, that's one thing I like about God's Word. God's Word, is, it's always true. He does, it's not pie-in-the-sky stuff. Y'all, and, and sometimes we make it out that way. Let me share with you some things that were told in Scripture. It's what Jesus said. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. We don't focus on that one a whole lot. He, in this world, you'll have trouble. Uh, Peter, the disciple of Jesus, said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which await you. Uh, we're told in the Gospels, those who are godly, they will suffer. I mean, that sounds like a party right there, doesn't it? I mean, you look at all those things. So God is very honest with us, but here is, so there's the honesty, okay, this is the depressing part, okay, this is where I'm hoping to take it up a little bit. Okay, so we're headed to destruction, but God tells his people, I give you hope. He said, okay, so the people in Babylonian captivity, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years because you've disobeyed me. And you've been blessed by me, and now I'm removing my hand of blessing, and you're going to see what sin does. Sin destroys. Sin enslaves. Sin puts you in captivity. Some of us know this better than others. It enslaves us. But then God says, but if you're my people, he said there's going to be a day when I make it right. He told the people in our text, he said, after 70 years, I'm going to return you back to your homeland. Now, you've been disobedient, so there's a price to pay. Jeremiah 29.10, it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, that's the punishment, God says, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Guys, let me tell you something. No, no, I don't know what everybody's going through. I, I know some people who have physical issues, people who are dealing with, with diseases that are scary. I know others that have, have children that have strayed from God. I know others of us, and in our workplaces, we, man, we feel like we don't have any freedom there. And there's just a lot of different things that are going on in the lives of people in our church. Let me tell you something. This is the hope that you have. You might feel hopeless right now, but God tells us there's going to be a day when He is permanently going to make everything right. God tells us there will be a day when every wrong will be righted. Now, that sounds like pie-in-the-sky thinking, doesn't it? You know, and we say, well, you know, you're just saying that so that we can get through the drudgery of life and maybe have something to look forward to. Okay, but but here's the deal. Does God keep his word? Now, in our text today, God said, after 70 years, I'm going to send you back home and I'm going to give you freedom. Did that happen? Okay, historical event here. Real people being talked about here. Ezra 1-1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. What was the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah? Here's the word. He said, we're going to be in captivity for 70 years, but after 70 years, God's going to send us home. Cyrus, a real guy, became king of Persia. You know what he did in his first year? It's in historical records. He told the Hebrew people, you may go home and you can go home with my blessings and you can rebuild your temple. Folks, God, let, me, folks let me tell you something. God is trustworthy. Titus 1.1 1, 1 says God does not lie. Hebrews 4 says it is impossible for God to lie. So what does that mean? No matter what's happening in our, in our culture right now, God gives you hope. God has a promise for you and for me. That there is a life that is better than this one. And he will give it to his people. Uh, let, let me share with you an example. I was reading a story in the newspaper a couple of weeks ago, and it was an interesting story. It talks about monsoon season. Uh, happens obviously every year. It happens in, in Korea specifically. And it usually lasts like three to four weeks. And so when that happens, it's it's always rainy, it's cloudy, it's you know, y'all remember last year, it's like that, but it's like it never ends. And so it's like monsoon season. People get depressed, and it just—I mean—it's just horrible. And so uh, the government r- recognized this. They knew people got depressed, and said, "Well, let's try to let's try to do something to kind of lift people's spirits." And so what they did is they they found there's this thing, thing called hy- hydrochromatic paint, and what they do is they paint they paint the streets with it. Now you can't see it until it rains, and whenever it rains, you can see it. Um, it shows up in a lot of these bright colors. And so I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And so, so people actually, they were like, we know monsoon season is coming, but it's kind of cool because when it comes, we get to see this stuff. And it's all over the streets in Seoul, but it, it doesn't show up when it's dry, only when it's wet. Okay, and I thought about that, and I looked at that, and I thought, you know, that's how God works. You know, in our lives, we, ha- we all have monsoon seasons in our lives. We all have seasons in our lives when it is raining, when it is dark, and we don't see a whole lot of hope. But what God has done is God has come down and he has painted on the lives of his believers like a hydrochromatic paint so that whenever it rains on us, we are able to look down and see the beautiful promises of God. He says, I know that you're living in a nation that has walked away from me. But as you live for me, as you have trusted in me, I want you to know that you have hope, that you have promise, that, that you can make a difference. That whenever we engage culture, and that we love people, and that we pray for people, that we serve people, that we stand for truth and for righteousness, he, said, he tells us we will see him move. It's rainy in life right now for a lot of us, but guys, there's, there's a promise for us. One of the greatest ones I can think of is Revelation 21, verses 4 through 5. This is God speaking, it says, or telling us, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on his throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Village Church, here's the deal for us. We have to be involved. We have to engage. We have to be responsible. We have to stand for the truth of God's Word if there's ever going to be any color in this dark world. We need more and more hydrochromatic paint. And we've got to splash it around. Or guys, we're just simply going to walk around. In darkness. That's why I believe, as we talk about our civic responsibility, that's why I believe that it's important that we live our values, that we promote our values, that we vote our values. See, God, God has a plan for his people. It's to prosper us, it's to give us hope, and it's not just for us, but as we prosper, the whole city will prosper. Christians, as we stand up and honor God, it, it will bless not just us, it will bless our country. And so I want to encourage you. November 8th, we have an election coming up. It doesn't matter. You know, we're we're voting for president. We have school board. Examine the candidates. What do they stand for? What do they believe in? What policies do they support? What are they open to? Because we need people in places of power and leadership who want to honor God, who support policies that will honor God, who support policies that will bless and protect Christians as well. We have to vote and be a part of it. But we have to be engaged. And I believe as we are engaged and we love people, we care for people, we serve people, I'll tell you something, it will open up people to us and not just see us as a bunch of griping Christians, but as a bunch of Christians who are willing to be a part of the solution. We are to be a part of the solution. We're not just professional gripers. We're supposed to serve. We're supposed to let our voice be heard. Why? Because God loves people. He loves all people. And he blesses the world Through his people that's us okay so what's one thing that we can do in order to be a blessing today i believe that's something that's very important is that we pray that we pray that's going to be that's how we're going to close out our service today what i would like for us to do is to spend the last moments of the service praying for our country y'all our country needs prayer and so i just like for us to bow our heads at this time and i'm just going to give you a couple of things to pray for and i just want us all to join let's just all join together and pray for these things I'd like for you to start off by praying for this. Pray for God's mercy on our nation. You know what mercy is? It's getting something you don't deserve. Let's pray for God's hand of mercy to be upon our nation. And As you pray that, then I I just want to encourage you to follow it up with this. Let's pray and ask for God to forgive us. And that's, I'm talking about personally, but I'm also talking about nationally. Now, you know your personal sins, but nationally, I can name a couple. But we, need, we need to ask God to forgive us for just so openly rejecting Him, shaking our tiny little fist in the face of God. Let's ask Him to forgive us of that. Let's ask him to forgive us as a nation. As we have seen over 50 million unborn children killed. God, forgive us. Let's ask God to forgive us for penalizing those who are married. For promoting a marriage that is not biblical, God forgive us of that. Let's pray for God to bless us with leaders who would be open to His leadership. Let's pray that God would use us, would use Village Church, would use Christians in this community. As a light that will shine in darkness. Because if people receive the light of Jesus, let me tell you something, there's no greater light. This, This country will change. There can be revival. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we are grateful that you have been, you have been merciful to us. Lord, I believe that As we continue on, God, we we need an extra measure of your mercy because, God, it seems like that we just continue down a path that is defiant of you. Lord, forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would spark a, a revival, Lord, a turning, a renewing in our hearts of a desire to know God. Lord, may we see the power and the hand of God. In our community, Lord, may it begin with us. May it begin in, in this church, Lord, and, and our young people, and our parents. God, may it spread. And I pray that you will rescue us, rescue our nation, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.